Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from 10 to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to vinitaliplus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. And remember to save the date. The next edition of Vinitali will be held from the 2nd to the 5th of April 2023. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. We are joined today by David Garrett, co-founder of Club Divin, the fastest growing NFT community in wine. He has graciously agreed to help me And hopefully some of you understand exactly what are NFTs, how they've been used in the non-wine world, and what are their implications for today and the future of wine. Let's get into it. David Garrett, I'm really excited to have you here today. You are one of the co-founders of one of the fastest growing NFT and wine platforms, Uh, Club Divin has a very specific direction that it's going with NFTs that is a little bit different, I think, than what a lot of us maybe in our low level of understanding um, think of when we think of NFTs. And so I am I'm super excited to kind of pick your brain today and help you help me and the audience understand, as I put in the title for this, NFTs, what the fuck? So welcome. Well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to chat with you today. Um, and I, for a very long time, said NFTs, what the fuck myself. Um, and didn't, you know, people had been bringing me wine and blockchain projects for a long time uh, to look at, to help out with, to invest in. And um for the longest time, I would learn a little bit and look at it and say, yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. And then I would learn a little bit more and say, I don't really get it. Uh, and then a light bulb went off about, I guess, about nine months ago, um, somewhere between a year and nine months ago. And that's, um, that really caused um, uh, uh, what you see in Club Divin. And so what was we, the light bulb? Like, what was, what was the thing that took you from where we are right now, which is, you know, what the fuck, to now having an, an NFT that you're really in the process of launching? So um, the, the, the light bulb for me was um, in looking at, instead of looking at NFTs as a, as a piece of art, or even looking at, at which which they are, and and that's um, that's an important piece of it. The art or the design, the you know the storytelling of an NFT is really important. That that the visual aspect, um, but that that wasn't quite enough. Um, I thought it was interesting, but it wasn't quite enough. Um, mostly because it it existed in places where um, where it's not not super easy to find, not super easy to see. There mm. wasn't there wasn't enough there. And then, um, you know, you started looking at, at NFTs as a, as a deed of ownership, which also interesting, but, um, but not really, you know, mo- most people, we, we've gone for a very long time, 4,000 years without a deed of ownership for our, for our bottles of wine. I don't know why we necessarily need one right now. Um, it's interesting, but again, and, and, and there, I can see some some ways that that's that's important. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't until we saw the utility, the ability for that NFT to be functional, to provide a um, to provide a way to I- identify individuals or to identify holders of the NFT and provide those holders with some sort of utility community connection. And, okay. and that's really where the, where the label went off. 
I, I want to jump in on this because I, I feel like, at least for me and my research, I want to sort of go back to some basics. So NFT, non-fungible token, which basically, according to my understanding, means that it is a it is not a commodity where you can have a one-for-one interchange of a good. Is that kind of correct? Sure. I mean, it's like... Um, uh it's a it's a store of value that is non non fungible non exchangeable for another one so for example your um and this is actually the 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 really the easiest way to say it if you've got two hundred dollar bills they're exchangeable for one another if I've got a hundred and I give it to you and you give me your hundred dollar bill then it's the same we're in the same place but right. if I've got a deed of ownership to my house and you've got a deed of ownership to your house, those are not exchangeable, right? I can't give you mine and you give me yours. And then we both just have the same thing. So, so that's the, that's really the difference between, um, a fungible token, which is a totally, you know, one, one for one mm-hmm. and a non fungible, which is they're two different things, right? They're, they're two, they're both assets, but they're different things. It's a unique thing. A fungible token is a unique thing, like your house. So in in the language that I think in my head made a good segue, an original piece of art, is that considered basically like an old school NFT? I have one piece. It only exists as this one piece. I can't ever trade it for another one piece that's exactly the same. Is that like, is that kind of an NFT? Kind of, actually, but when you think about it this way, it's actually not the art itself. It's the ownership of that art, right? Like the token that represents the ownership of that art, that's, right. the, that's the thing that's the NFT. So okay. if you have, if I've got a piece of art and you've got a piece of art, then I, we can't just exchange them for one another because they're unique. Right, we can't exchange right. ownership we have of those for one another with art. There's there's well, a provenance, not, and not just provenance, that... but they're different, right? Like you you might have a Monet and I might sure. have a Matisse. Those two things are not, but they're they're different, right? They have different. This is values. what we all want. They I'll have, have the Monet, you have the field. Matisse. <laughs> um, so then, cause again, I'm, uh, you know, coming from more of a creative background, I'm just really trying to make certain I understand this. So what I've understood from some of the early NFTs that happened in art is that because there's a direct line, because A, it's a digital product and there's a connection between the artist and the purchaser, that there is updatability, which Picasso cannot come back into my house five years later and decide that he wants to add another Dawson's to the picture. I can't have a moment in life and say, Hey, I have three Dawson's. Can you add more Dawson's? Because somehow I've engaged with you and you've met my Dawson. Like, is it, is, is part of the value that there is an interchange or not, an adaptability or a growth ability? So that's not always the case. So some, some NFTs, some art NFTs, um, are, um, so this is, and this is, we're getting a little bit technical here, but some, sometimes it's on chain and sometimes it's off chain. So let me, let me, let me Mm. kind of explain what that means. When I say that an NFT is a deed of ownership, that's really true. The thing that is the NFT is, um, you know, it's a wallet address and it's some information about a about the ownership of a specific thing. Now, for most art, in, if you have an art NFT, part of the metadata of that thing that you own is a link to the file, right? It's a link to a JPEG, or it's a link to a video file, or it's a link to an animation. Um, that's that's a piece of the metadata. It's not all of it, but a piece of it. So there are two ways that you can do that. One way is on-chain, which means that you're storing the image on the uh, IPFS. And that's that's actually a funny thing. They call it the IPFS. That stands for the Interplanetary File System. IPFS. Interplanetary now I'm just going to sing system. Beastie Boys, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just crazy. But 
So that is a file system that's on chain, meaning that once you put the file there, it is there and immutable forever. It can never change. You cannot update it. It will be there. And that file is there forever. It can't be deleted. can't be deleted. can't be exchanged. can't be fixed. It is there forever. And there are some projects that have the art is on chain. So if you look at, you know, I, I believe art blocks is probably on chain. I think that, um, that, uh, that the, um, the board API club, I believe that that art is on chain. Um, meaning it is immutable and can never be changed. Um, so that piece will live forever on the blockchain. That's, okay. that's part of the cool part of the blockchain is that it's immutable. Now, what, what a lot of projects are doing, and one of the things that we're doing, for example, is we're taking the, that file system, we're making it off-chain, meaning we can update those image files. We can update the animations. And because we want to be able to evolve the art over time. Now, really what that amounts to is just a different level of decentralization. So with, with a lot of art projects, like if you're doing a Monet or a Manet, you might want to use the uh, interplanetary file system and put that piece of art on the um, uh, on, on chain so that you can go away and you never have to deal with it again. And that's just owned and it's owned forever. Can't be okay. hacked, can't be changed. It's there forever. That's kind of the board ape yacht club. If you want to add a little bit of centralization, which is kind of what we're doing, where the, the, the deed of ownership will always be there, but we can update the art piece of it um, in order to adapt to different ways that you might want to visualize that art. Um, then that's kind of, we, we've sort of given up a little bit of decentralization in exchange for some adaptability over time, right? So, okay. you know, the, the board ape will always be that image, always, forever, always and forever. For us, we might say, hey, as there are different ways to be able to visualize your digital seller, for example, we may want to update the, the, the digital quirks that we're making, which are right now are like 9 to 12 second videos. We might want to update that to be like a 3D model or update it to be a, um, an interactive thing. Like there's a bunch of things that we might want to do um, in the future as visualization as the, the ability to visualize that collection, um, you know, as there are more opportunities to do that. Does that make sense? Okay. It does. But I mean, as you're, as it's you're saying that, I'm just answer. making a list of questions. Um, okay. So it sounds to me like one of the things that you're saying is this is part of the creator economy where we actually have an ability for the creators to have greater control, distribution, transparency around whatever it is that they create. Is that, is that kind of true? I think that's definitely true. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of, um, I, I think that web three is, very much part of the creator economy because it it allows nfts allow for um uh, they allow for the exchange of um of digital goods mm -hmm. in a decentralized way you don't have to go through instagram you don't have to go through facebook you don't have to go sure. through pinterest or anything you can just you can you can sell things um, or monetize things without having to go through those platforms to, to, a, to a certain extent. It, it, it puts the power of not only the ownership of your assets, um, but also the ownership of your data. Um, that's kind of the, right. the cool thing about Web3. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that I do want to talk about um, with data. So let's, and hopefully both of us don't geek out too much in our own particular ways on this. So one of the things that we're noting more, more and more is that data regulations are, they are a moving target and that target is getting harder and harder to reach and understand. Uh, so professionally, we have been saying to our clients for years, your most important 
asset is not your wine. It's not your building. It's your data because that data represents the one-to-one relationship between you and the people who've given you permission to talk to them. Do you feel like that, that this, so I'm going to call it sort of web three and correct me if I'm wrong on any of the language or syntax that I'm using. Is this really just like the ultimate transparent, uh, data and connection ownership? Like, is this where when I'm sitting here without understanding Web3, is this where it's actually going and what I need to get a grip on? I think so. I mean, look, it's very early days. We're still, everyone's still sort of figuring it out. But I do think that um, that if you if you look at the way, if you look at the way things are are seem to be headed, the trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that, you know, Apple has, um, with their privacy, with the new privacy settings for, for iOS, sure. um, with Google following suit, uh, there's more and more desire by the, by the large players in the tech industry to give more powers to the individual to control their data. And I think web three even just the little things that we're doing right now in Web3, it's um, it seems like it's certainly the future. It's the one thing that, and and really Europe has has led the charge in that, right? With mm. uh, with GDPR, like the the the, I don't know if you've tried to use the internet recently, but it's not that much fun if you're in Europe. You you're like you're you're oh, and way it's getting harder through screens, and it's and it's difficult. Yeah, I think that once that Web3 is actually going to provide some really interesting. Um, solutions to that and make things easier and better. Um, but it's, it's, a it's because of that, the, the regulatory influence in Europe, that's, that's really, I think it's driving privacy and, and the adoption of web three style or, or web three inspired, um, uh, data collection, data, right. data, data use and data ownership. Connection. Um, I mean, a lot yeah. of it is just, it is just that connection. Okay. So going back to my original question so that I don't go down a, a marketing path. Okay. So a couple of things. One, um, as you said, you were approached by a lot of people for a very long time. There is a lot of like shitty, ugly, no utility NFTs that get talked about that are online. I mean, when I, I, I've looked at some of the things when there was the big sort of like everybody and their uncle were going to start creating NFTs and I would go into OpenSea and I would look at their art and I'm like, this is ugly. Like, why would anybody want this? So is that, is that just part of the, um, the growing pain of a new platform is that we've got all of the like, testers saying, yeah, I'm going to throw my hat in, even though I maybe am not the right match for what the audience needs. You know, you young people that just don't, that don't have like a, (laughs) a real memory of the internet. Like, let me tell you the first website that I built. um, The narrator says David and I are the same age. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, the first website that I built in 1991 yeah. had a gray background and you couldn't change the font or the font color and links were always blue. And I remember maybe those you days. Could bold. I don't remember. I think you could bold and maybe italics yeah. and you could put an image. Like I remember the day that I put my first image in a, mm. in a web page mm. and that was like, wow. So I remember back in those early days when people were building websites and they were horrifically ugly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I don't know if you remember the first Yahoo. It was the, the oh, like, I the remember first the early Yahoo Amazon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally so like, remember that. So here's what I think. I think, you know, it's not, not just ugly, but a lot of those things weren't very functional. There were a ton of websites that, that were available in the, in the early days that didn't really yeah. have any function or didn't really do anything. And, you know, part of that was just people, um, some people trying to like get on a bandwagon, some people like looking at a gold rush and showing up with their, with their shovels and, and picks and, um, and trying to figure out what to do. And, and 
you know, I think that, that without, um, I think that without those projects, it's hard to see how valuable other projects are. So okay. they're, they're, they're good as a reference. It, it's true. You get some people that are like, Oh, NFTs, people are buying NFTs. I'm going to do it. And some people have made some money on just creating weird, ugly stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at, at crypto punks, that's not... I have it sitting here in front of me. That was one of the questions that I was going to ask. I was going to ask about Alexis Ohanian's CryptoPunk yeah. that he that he bought for Serena Williams. That I look at it and I'm like, that's weird. Because and and so actually the question that I was that going to make why sense. would you buy that um, is there's also this feeling that it feels like it is, and I hear this all the time. By the way, this is for rich people who have money to burn right? This is a place for people who have more money than sense to go and do it. Um, is that, was that originally true? Is that evolving? And as I do want to get into some of like the tangibleness of it, is that only for things that are digital? And then we can move into real life. Sure. Stuff. I mean, in the same way that, you know, stamp collecting has always only been for rich people with too much money or Pokemon card collecting. It's only for rich people, really. Um, you know, baseball cards. baseball cards. Yeah, I'm sure baseball no, cards. no normal person would ever collect a baseball card. It's only for the very wealthy, richy riches in our mansions, right? Well, and no, let's face it, there are people who are saying that only rich people would invest in wine. I mean, who the hell spends that kind of money on, on and, wine? So. And this is what I'm saying. Like, like, yeah, there's certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness out there. There are weird projects. The you know the 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 um, the barrier to entry for creating a collection of NFTs is different from the barrier of entry of creating stamps or creating right. baseball cards or Pokemon cards or um, what were those little beanie baby beanie babies beanie babies? Oh, Did people collect those? For I a do long remember time? that. Yes. Um, so. Like, no, I, here's what I think. I think that there are, that in the NFT space, there's probably lots of room for anybody who's interested in collecting art or interested in collecting, um, in, in collecting or, or even really being part of a community. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting NFTs out there for music. So imagine like this is, this was actually one of the most compelling things that I heard in the early days when I was researching this was the, was the, the, um, the use case and the utility of NFTs for music. Mm. So let's say you're, you're, you like to follow new music. You like, you like to find new bands. You're one of those early adopters. I'm not right. Like it's gotta be, you know, on the billboard top 10 20 years ago for me to listen to it i'm I'm not one of those like people that's always seeking out new music but a lot of people are and if you were seeking out new music and you were to buy um an nft of a song for example let's say there were a thousand limited uh limited edition um versions of of a particular song and you were to buy that that does two things one well three things really one is it gives some money to to the musician which is kind of interesting. And now the musician is that's able to collect questions. money yep. without having to go through a record company. Mm. So that's kind of cool. And two, it almost kind of makes you an investor in that musician, right? Because if you had one of the first thousand recordings of, you know, an early Rolling Stones song or an early... Maroon Five song. That's a band, right? Maroon Five. <laughs> so, like, if you had an early, I think they pay it for the picture of Adam Levine more than the <laughs> yeah. song. But you yeah. know, go for it. But, but if you had like a, a an early thousand, like there were a thousand, only a thousand copies made of that early pressing of an early song. Like, and you were mm -hmm. to buy that, if you could buy that for a hundred bucks, and then right. today, what would that be worth? That would be worth a lot of money to you as a collector, especially if like you had special access to be able to listen to that song. So like gives money to the artist or the musician. That's awesome. Gives like gives the, the ability for this early adopter to be able to participate in value creation. So yeah, it's kind of, that it's, it's a been, form of crowdfunding. 
right? Yes, I mean, like, sure, really? Isn't of. that, isn't but it like, kind but, of, but I'm getting behind something. Yeah. Right. So there's scarcity so, in it. And then there's also the utility, which is, you know, maybe if you're one of the people that has that thousand and that initial thousand NFTs, that gives you backstage passes to every show. Right. That NFT is a ticket for backstage passes to every show. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a lot of really interesting, there's some really interesting um, components to that. Right. Like, there's so a, I'm thinking about that a from a business value. sense. I, yeah. I'm thinking about that. Things like um, the cause. So if we're looking at issues around the creator community or the creator economy, rather, that we are getting more and more into rights management, digital rights, rights management, and ongoing licensure. So I would be looking at it like, okay, for me as a business, if I invest in an artist early, like this is a completely made up example. Does that give me the rights to sticking with music that I am allowed to use that piece of music in an ongoing kind of licensed way for say commercial or personal use that I wouldn't have if I'm not um, if, if I was not one of those investors. So I would be kind of looking at it very much from a, what's the business utility? Um, is there, is there like a B2B sort of, is there a business use case or businesses allowed to participate or is it always just like individuals? I think there certainly could be. Um, that's, a, that's actually a really interesting business that somebody should do. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna call someone after we get off this this podcast okay, that's because that, that that's a cool idea. I get a royalty. Um, no, but um, uh, so that that really depends on the contract. So, for example, the Board Ape Yacht Club famously is as part of the smart contract, which is the smart contract is just a piece of software that um, that is part of the NFT. And the NFT is a it, it's a it's not just a. Um, it's not just a, a line of code or it's not just a, um, a, a transaction. It's actually a piece of software that runs on the blockchain. I know that sounds weird, okay. but it's a distributed okay. computer. It's a software. So that contract, which is software in for the Board Ape Yacht Club, famously gives the owner of that Board Ape all of the IP rights to that Board Ape. Really? Right? Yeah. I didn't so know that. So that's why you've seen like there's a... There's a hamburger joint that just opened up in yeah. Venice, California, that's like owned by a board ape, and he used mm. his board ape to open the hamburger joint. And then there's um, Johnny Ivey, oh, I think, created a, a, a music company using. There's a couple of board apes that created a music company. So there are mm. there. That's I think that's a really kind of interesting. That's a really interesting piece. Um, there are other contracts that don't do that um so i think that's you know it's it, it really depends on how the contract is written but i certainly think that the idea of you know i i know that there are all these repositories of um of like bits of music that people mm. use for ads and people use for all kinds of different things if you could buy that piece of music and own it um, and then if that becomes a, uh, a popular piece of music, you could then sell the rights to it. I think that would be, that's a, there's a, there's an interesting business in there. Someplace. Well, yeah. So just to kind of go off on a tangent, if you look at epidemic sound, um, which we use for all of our commercial soundscapes for clients, um, there are top performers who legit have like YouTube videos with millions of views. I mean, almost in a sense that they're creating distributed music, but they're treated like an EDM star or pop artist. Um, anyway, I think that that's super interesting, but I, I know that's not what we're supposed to be talking about. So one of the other things that I look at, um, it, is something like, and I would just encourage people probably need to look this up to know what we're talking about. Lost Girls of the Metaverse. So this one was really interesting to me because this was one of the first ones that I saw that that sort of exploded uh, via Twitter and, you know, my networks. Anyway, so when I went in and I looked at it, what I thought was interesting is actually what they're selling. So there's an NFT membership and brand that when they talk about themselves, there are a couple interesting things. They say, we didn't get the chance to pave our own way in the traditional tech space. 
and that this is a chance we're going for it. And some of what it looks like is funding, right? Funding a, a movement and building community. So in this sense, yes, I'm getting uh, a kind of visual representation of something because I get why that's important. But what I would be buying into is this notion of like-minded women who have a shared goal of, you know, pushing forward tech business, whatever. So literally like I'm investing in the community. Is that right? Do I understand that correctly? To, to, to a certain extent. Yeah. It depends on the community. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with that one. But a lot of these times there they are um, that's really what it is is the community that um, when you when you buy the token you're investing in you're yeah you're investing in the community it's similar to to the club that we're building there's a you know the way that these nft membership clubs work is your nft is your membership card right the holder of the nft that's what gives you access to all of the, the the benefits and services and value that's generated inside that membership club. Mm-hmm. And because your NFT is unique and verified and immutable on the blockchain, you can use it. It's not like a membership card that someone can fake or counterfeit, right? right? And so it's just very easy to validate someone's membership in a club and then to transfer that membership um on on the on the internet to do that without in a very very simple and decentralized way so so that's kind of interesting right and then and and basically how it works is if your token is your if your nft is your your membership card and there are a limited number of memberships there's a limited number of people who can have those those membership cards. And then you create value and desirability to become a member. Then the value of those memberships, the value of, have, of purchasing that, the, the cost of purchase that membership card increases because there's more people that want to become members than there are memberships available. So it's just a very, it's a very simple it's, it's, it's just kind of taking a lot of things that already exist out there and making it work very simply and very quickly and very efficiently. Okay. So again, just because I have to put this into the context of what I understand, and I, I hope that we aren't boring the tears out of our audience. Um, you know, uh, old school private clubs, equity clubs, things where you basically pay for access, uh, usage rights, uh, events, tickets, you know, whatever it may be. So I guess what I'm trying to trying to understand is that these are ways that known systems are simply adapting to be decentralized, global in a sense, or transparent. And also, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is like, if I'm looking at the, the um, equity clubs, this is also for one of a better word, more inclusive in the sense that those were um, those had a lot of gatekeeping around them and maybe now we're moving beyond some of that. Um, okay. So now, so we've got, we've got the notion of sort of the, the art and the, um, transparency, we've got community. So now what I sort of want to understand is how does this relate to tangible Good. So like I'm, I'm sitting here in front of me, one of the ones that has received quite a bit of acclaim is the Mondavi and Bernardo uh, NFT that was done. I know that we've got a few others that are happening in mind. And then of course we have yours. Um, so can you help me understand or help all of us who are dingbats around this understand how does this translate into something that is tangible? So, so look, uh, there are there are a bunch of projects out there that are um, that are experimenting with different ways of using NFTs, and some of them are super innovative, and some of them are are um, uh, are very interesting, and some of them are using the technology the way I, I think to a um, you know to its to the fullest extent of its utility, or or at least leveraging that utility, and some of them maybe not quite as much. Um, but, 
there's really a couple of different. I'm gonna I'm gonna not talk about individual projects, but I'll talk about kinds of projects right. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, it's okay to talk about yours. I don't want you to feel like you can't sure. talk about yours. Yeah. So there are uh, there are a bunch of projects out there where you can buy an NFT, and that gives you ownership over a barrel, for example, that's sitting at the winery. Or ownership over part of a barrel. Like maybe they'll have a hundred NFTs. Right. And those NFTs give you, you know, each one gives you one percent of of that barrel. And and that's kind of interesting. You know, it's a way for you to basically trade futures in wine um with in a fluid market that in a fluid and efficient market, right? So if you bought futures, if you buy, you know, yeah, that's futures, interesting. There's really no market. Like, how do you trade those? There's a way yeah. that it's difficult. This is like super transparent, super easy. I buy 1% of a barrel of, you know, Penfolds or Mondavi. And, you know, as that barrel ages, maybe it becomes more and more valuable as people say, oh, wow, the, the 2019 vintage or the 2020 vintage was great. We think those wines are going to be worth more. So they pay more for, for that 1% sure. of that barrel. Great. Interesting. But that's super interesting. And then what happens is... When they decide to bottle that um, and sell that barrel, they redeem the NFTs and you get paid out for whatever 1% of that barrel went for, right? So it's just a, it's a simple way to trade the futures. Right. Um, another thing that people have done is you've got, you, uh, you buy an NFT and that gives you the right to redeem for six bottles of wine in the future. So mm-hmm. if you're a um, if you're a winery, um, you might say, okay, I'm gonna I want to sell a thousand NFTs. Each one of them is worth can be redeemed for six bottles as soon as this wine is ready to be shipped. And so you can buy. So basically, you're buying the wine ostensibly less expensively early on. Um, you're giving the winery some money early on for them to use for for capital, um, and then at some point in the future you redeem those NFTs and they send you your wine. I think we've all done this. I mean, like you're telling me the story and I'm like, sure. oh yeah, I've, I've totally done this, but I've just not yeah. done it in this the, channel. The, what, what's interesting about NFTs for that is that, again, they're tradable. So, you know, I I buy that the rights to those six bottles from a winery. I buy it less expensively. And then uh, right now, and then as that, you know, three years from now, if that wine, because for two reasons, A, Maybe that vintage ended up being really good, or maybe that winery has grown in notoriety. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe, um, or maybe it's just because now it's you know three years ago it wasn't drinkable, and now it's drinkable, so it's worth more. Uh, like mm. You can redeem it for something you can actually consume. Um, either way, like maybe the value of that NFT increases over time. So those are really more more than anything. Those NFTs are investments. They're speculative investments. Um, and, and that's okay. Like there's, there's, they've made it sort of easier for people to be able to speculate on wine. And then, and then there's another, a third thing, which you've seen from some, some other projects where the bottle has already been bottled. It's a super high end bottle. Mm. You can buy the NFT for that bottle and then that bottle will sit in storage. And then, you know, your bet is that over the course of the next 20 years, that bottle is going to increase in value and then you can sell it. So a lot of the projects out there are speculative investments. It'll give you the ability to invest in wine, either in inexpensive wine or in super rare wine or in the winery itself. It's mostly just ways for you to make investments in wine and for wineries to sell their wine early. Right or yeah. sell their wine before it's ready, and to and to 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 um, to start collecting, basically to to get working capital um, from early. Do you know what I so want to jump in on? That's that. what most from, projects are. From a marketing side of things, so um, as everyone can tell, I am learning about this right along with them. Right, um, so this is sort of off the cuff. From a marketing side of things, what I'm thinking is it gives us access to a completely different market, right? So if I'm a winery who produces cult wines, premium wines, super premium wines, I've been selling through the same markets for a really long time. And maybe like my biggest jump was that I went D to C. Um, This is, 
this gives us access by going into these spaces. So, I mean, I, I've kind of done some research on where they get sold, um, to find people who we wouldn't find by just circling around that same wine specific market. And one of the things that I think of is every time I go to San Francisco, I'm always amazed at the number of people who are making big bucks in tech. They live like, you know, 12 people to a house because San Francisco housing so um, expensive, but they are spending bank on wine. Like yeah. these, and these are not people that we ever really talk to in wine. So okay, I, right. I find that really interesting. All right. So continue on the tangible side of things. So we've got the investment side of it. Anything else? Um, that's, I would say that almost all of the projects that I've seen out there are really focused on the investment side, whether it's, there are projects where you're investing in a barrel there are projects right. where you're investing in a future vintage. There are projects when you're investing in a bottle, a rare bottle that's already been made. Or there's even a project that I saw where you're investing in a winery itself. Like everyone, you're putting a bunch of money in and they're buying a winery. And so, yeah, you're investing in the this brand. is all, this all feels like something we're used to. So, okay. Then the other thing that I want to talk about that does have to do with tangible has to do with this notion of transparency, provenance, the blockchain which again, it, I think this is just, this is how people who don't understand wine feel when they walk into a room full of wine people talking. We're like, what the hell is all this language? Um, right. So all of this leading to controlling counterfeits, because that's one of the mm -hmm. things that keeps coming up around NFTs and wine is that this is, you know, this is a solution to wine counterfeiting. Here's what I think. Um, uh, and and I, I can only talk about our solution for this, which is, you know, the anti-counterfeiting, anti-fraud is a very small part of what we're doing, but it's an important part. Um, uh, I think that NFTs have the ability to um, maybe not solve, but, but curb and disincentivize fraud and counterfeiting. You're never going to solve it because it's a, it's a whack-a-mole technical issue. Like you can't solve it. Um, but you can, you can, you can disincentivize it. Um, and, and, and I, and I think that's an important piece and I can, I can talk a little bit about how we want to do that. So most of the platforms out there that are investment platforms, because they're investment platforms, it's very important for them to be trustless. So for example, most of the time, most of the projects that I've just talked about, where you're investing in a barrel, or you're investing in the bottle, you're investing in a future bottling, or you're investing in um, a bottle that's already made, typically you'll make that investment, and those wines will sit in a warehouse, um, and you'll and you'll use the NFT to trade those wines. But then, as soon as you say, "Okay, I want you to ship the wine to me." they burn the NFT and the NFT is no longer any good. And now you have the wine because they're, because the, the, the theory that they have, which is a, which is a really good theory for their investment platforms is as soon as the wine leaves our control, we, we don't know if it's fake. We don't know if it's counterfeit. So as long as we have it in our warehouse, we know a hundred percent for sure it's trusted. The problem is, is that, yeah, that'll cut down in, 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 in fraud and counterfeiting a hundred percent for those wines, but mm -hmm. you know, that's not really, uh, you know, a ship, uh, what is it? A ship in Harbor is, uh, is, yeah, is it's a safe. halfway solution. But that's, but yeah. That's not where the, but ships aren't meant to be in the Harbor. I don't remember yeah. that. I'm no. butchering the quote, but, um, but you know, wines are meant to be like consumed and they're meant to be, they're meant to be out there. So there is going to be some aftermarket, um, in the real world. And the, the solution that, that we've done, what we've decided to do, the, the, the NFT that we've built and the technology that we've developed over the course of the last nine months or so is called the digital cork. And the digital cork serves as a, um, like a digital twin for each bottle of wine. So there's a unique identifier on that wine that can be a QR code. It can be an NFC sticker. NFC is like the tech that's in your credit card when you tap to pay. Gotcha. Near near field communications. Yes, I know uh, what that is. Uh, and then um, there's also 
you know, any kind of unique identifier. There's the bubble, like Angelus does these really cool bubble stickers that, you know, if, it, if the wine gets too cold, the or if the bottle gets too cold, then the water freezes. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of those things. But anyways, there's, as long as there's a unique identifier, we can then attach that that the nft to that bottle and the nft serves as all of those things that we've talked about right it serves as a um a certificate of authentic a deed of ownership first and foremost you know yeah i own this bottle it serves as a um as a uh, certificate of authenticity if the digital cork is attached at the winery then you know that it came from the winery right if that was right. the first place that it came from so the certificate of authenticity and then there's chain of custody so, you know, we talked earlier about how an NFT is really just a, it's really just a, a deed of ownership. It says that you own this. Well, what's interesting about the blockchain is it's immutable. You can't erase it. So if you, if I buy an NFT from you, it's not as if your name gets erased and my name gets written as the owner. It's my name gets appended. It's almost like the old, you know, the, like the land, um, the, the, the land, the registries. Land, the land registry, land where, registries. Yeah. where you don't, they don't erase your name and put my name. If I buy your house, mm. they put my name after and it's they register ledger. the transaction. So it's a ledger. That's why mm. they call it a ledger. That's why the blockchain is a ledger. So that's why the chain of custody is really interesting because if you buy the wine from the winery and then I buy it from you, That'll show all of those transactions in the chain of custody on the NFT. So that in and of itself is a pretty big disincentive against fraud or counterfeiting. Because if you if you do commit fraud or if you do counterfeit that bottle, you're a lot more likely to get caught if your name's on the on, on the register, right? If they can trace it back to you somewhere. Well, and also, and also, wine is a small community, and you know who's dodgy. You know who doesn't care for their wines. I mean, like. I don't know. Is that, is that listed publicly? Like, is it listed by their name? So I can look at it and be like, Oh, look, John Doe owned that bottle of wine. And every wine that I've heard that's come from his cellar is not a good investment. Like, can you see real names or can you only see codes or wallet IDs? You, you, you will only see wallet IDs in the public blockchain. Mm -hmm. But for example, on use it, on the Devin platform, we'll know, to a certain extent, we'll know names or, or some contact information. And then over time, there are different ways that you, there are different things that you can do to, that will um, to do. But, but really what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing trust, right? So there's, on the one side, there's a disincentive if there's a chain of custody because, you know, yeah, that, that wallet ID is anonymous on the internet. But, you know, we're talking about a physical thing. So at some point, there's a tracking number and a shipment. And so, like, even if on the public blockchain, you only see those numbers, if there's a fraud committed, you know, the, the authorities are going to be able to figure out, they're, they're going to be able to start to put pieces together. You, you wouldn't be able to commit fraud at scale with that level right. of transparency, right? Which we can never stop one-offs. I mean, like right. in anything. So yeah. But on the other side is actually to me where it's more interesting, you know, in the short term, that chain of custody is really going to work. We think to, to, to curb and disincentivize fraud. But the other side of it is really the incentive side, which is right now, if you were to go and buy, um, go and look on wine searcher for two bottles or for, for a, let's say a, a 2002 alter ego, right? From Chateau Palmer. If you mm -hmm. went and looked for that, you would find a bunch of bottles and all of those bottles would be more or less the same price. Um, however, if you could look at two of those bottles and say, okay, this one has traveled around the world and had five different owners and been shipped to Hong Kong and Rio de Janeiro and Houston and New York. And this one has sat in a bonded warehouse for 20 years you're going to pay more for this one, right? You're going to pay more for the one that sat in the bonded warehouse. So all of a sudden, instead of wine searcher, where basically it's the same, more or less the same price for every bottle from the same year, same vintage. Now you can start to see a price differential. And that price differential is what's going to start to 
not not just disincentivize fraud, but it's going to incentivize clean provenance. Right. So it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna right now there's not such a big benefit to storing your wine in a bonded warehouse instead of having it delivered to your house. But over time, if there is and you and you're thinking that you're that you're probably going to trade your wine in the future, that you're buying it because at some point you're gonna you're interested in reselling it or you're interested in trading it. And there's a lot of people that do that, then you're gonna be massively incentivized to put that wine in a in a bonded warehouse. So wines that will trade on the secondary market will more and more likely end up being having that super clean provenance. And that's what's really going to disincentivize fraud because you might, you know, create a brand new wallet to buy one bottle of wine and have a, and, you know, uh, uh, do some sort of, you know, Kool-Aid or whatever it is in the bottle. But if someone looks and they're like, okay, well, that bottle has like a, a wallet ID that has one transaction on it. And this one came from a bonded warehouse. You're going to pay so much less for this one than you are for this one that there's no incentive to do the fraud. So no one will do it. That's really going to be top down through the wine system. So like that's going to be through, I'm assuming that's going to be through producers, through premium producers, luxury producers, through auction houses. But I actually think that more interestingly, what Web3 provides for is the ability to do peer-to-peer sales. So think about this. Think about this. This is this is what I'll leave you with. Um, you've got your wine cellar. You've got your virtual wine cellar. You've got your wine cellar, right? Um, but it's represented as a virtual wine cellar. So maybe that's a gallery on Instagram, or maybe it's something in the metaverse. Who knows what it is? But you've got your, you know, all of your wines are in a virtual wine cellar. And some of those wines might be at your house and some of them might be in a bonded warehouse in London and some of them might be, mm-hmm. who knows where they are. They're, 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 some of them might still be at the winery, but they're all represented in your digital wine cellar. Well, I might go to your digital wine cellar and say, hey, I'm really interested in the 2002, um, you know, Chateau Palmer Alter Ego. And you've got a bottle there and I can look at, at the provenance of that bottle and see that, oh, that's that's been sitting in a bonded warehouse in Bordeaux for the last 20 years. So I want to buy that from you. I could just buy that NFT from you. And now that's part of my virtual wine cellar. Um, and it's not part of yours. And the physical bottle didn't even move. Physical bottle just stayed in that, in that wine cellar. But the ownership transferred from you to me. Um, Dave, and then when I want to drink it, I can order You it. can't end with something that leads to more questions. Not fair. Okay, so um, you have just given us like NFT 101, for which I'm grateful. Now, tell me what you're doing. Sure. So, so look, it's going to take... Um, it'll take a lot longer to, to talk about everything that we're doing with Club Divin. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll talk about two really quick things. One is... The digital corp piece that I explained to you earlier, the deed of ownership, the um, uh, the certificate of authenticity, the chain of custody. There's another important piece to that, which is I talked earlier about, um, about how NFTs are smart contracts. Well, as part of that smart contract, um, in a lot of times, and you, if you've read about NFTs, you know that there's a royalty that gets paid to the... Um, to the um, uh, usually to the creator of that piece of art. Well, in our case, that royalty gets paid to the winemaker. So for the first time ever, the winemaker gets to participate in their value creation in the aftermarket. Wow. So that's really cool, right? Um, but that's the so that's the digital core. But on top of that, on our platform, we've created kind of an interesting um and, and what I think is the the most innovative thing and, and really again where the light bulb went off for me, which is um, we've created a, a new set of, NIT, of NFTs, a new concept, which is when you open the bottle, if you, when you phys- open the physical bottle, if you have that digital cork in your wallet, meaning you own that bottle, then our platform gives you the ability to pull the digital cork. And when you pull the digital cork, it does a couple of things. The first thing that it does is it um, is it updates the ledger for the original certificate of authenticity and says this bottle has been opened. It's no longer on the market. It's no longer tradable. It's 
gone. It's it's been opened. It's unauthorized now is is no longer right. But then it also gives the owner of that bottle the ability to mint or create new NFTs. And the 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 analog for that, like the Web two version of that, is to take a picture of your your bottle and post it to Instagram. Um, which is right, which is kind of what everybody does, right? If you right, you, this is you, our trophy wall. Yeah, this is your trophy wall. So the Web three version of that is a tasting token, which means that um, I open the bottle, I get a little Q, or I pull the digital cork, I get a little QR code on my phone. You're drinking this bottle with me. You can scan that QR code, and now we both have tasting tokens. And the tasting token is your it's part of your trophy wall and it's part of your it allows you to kind of keep your tasting journey it's got you know the beautiful aesthetics that we talked about the great art yeah it's got all the metadata that you don't have to i do feel in. like i need to say that because I, I did talk about a lot of the early art not being nice but in preparation for this i have looked at all of your art and it's lovely and and it was really kind of refreshing to see so Please continue, but I do well, want to you. say that the Club de Vin art is not what I was describing earlier. That's cool. Um, but um, but then there's also really interesting utility there. And the utility is that um, winemakers, for the first time, can be in touch with consumers at the moment of consumption. So think about it this way. Um, up until today... The distance between a winemaker and a consumer was 15 years and 15,000 miles, right? Like forever ago and far away. But now you can really put them right next to one another. So when you open that bottle and you mint your tasting token, the winemaker can say, hey, I'm really glad that you opened this wine and uh, how it's, how's it showing and like, like be part of the conversation and part of the culture. And then can also say, hey, if you collect more of these tasting tokens, we're going to know that you're a real fan of our winery and we mm. want to provide incentives and rewards like, you know, collect five and we'll invite you to a, a winemaker dinner or collect 10 and we'll invite you to the winery for a vertical tasting, right? right. So it's a way for the winery to start building community around their biggest fans. Um, so it's the utility of that tasting token, not just the, the visuals, the visuals are great, right? Like it's really nice to be able to tell a story. Um, but the, um, but the utility of it, which is it, it, it allows you to build that community because they're verified and authentic and immutable. That's what any NFT is. Mm. So this, the tasting token NFT is like a proof of experience. Yes. I, I can prove that I tasted that wine. And if you can right. do that, that's going to be really, really interesting to the winemaker. And that's why... And so but it's interesting from a in, marketing standpoint. When I look at things like, what yeah. is the data we gauge, lifetime value, how do we communicate, high quali highly qualified leads, and like all this sort of jargon of marketing, that if I've got people where I'm like, oh, this is actually like someone who's consumed our wine, engaged with our brand, then I start thinking about all the different ways that we can use that. So you have that... I do know that you're doing events and I know that you have an event coming up. <gasps> is it today? Is it tomorrow? tomorrow. Um, Bordeaux, it's tomorrow. It's we're, tomorrow. We're, in premiere. we're doing a tasting at in premiere tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Okay. So how does that work? And then I'll, and then I'll let you get on with your life. How does so, the events work as part of an NFT? So, um, uh, um, so membership in club event, um, that's is, um, you know, it's a, I, I wish that I had a longer that I uh, we, we're going to need a lot more time to, to get into this, but I know we're, we we have members in our club. So you know, any new technology takes time, it takes time to 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 get adoption and uh, time for it to kind of figure out how it's going to work. So we've built this technology that we know that wineries love. And they love it because they get great data, because they get to communicate with their, their best customers, and they get to create community. And we know consumers love it, right? Because consumers get to collect this trophy wall, and then they get to be in contact, and they get great experiences with the winemakers. But we've So we've created a club of the early adopters. Early adopters on the consumer side, early adopters on the winemaker side. And inside of that club, we're doing events. So, for example, the event that we're doing in, in Bordeaux tomorrow is with Angelus and Pavi. 
um, at, as part of Impremier, and we're tasting some wines and we're minting some tasting tokens for our any of our founding members that are there at Impremier. And I think there's going to be like 20 of us there. So um, those are the kinds of events that we're doing. We're also doing some massive big global events. We're doing some a bunch of little local events. Um, and that's really what being part of the club is about. You know, early adoption, awesome. um, tasting rare wines and, uh, and minting NFTs. So where do people find out more? Since you, you've been so kind to tell us all of this, if they want to know more about what you're doing, where do they go? Just clubdevent.com. Uh, and you'll find all of our socials there. And, you know, even if you're scared of Discord, you should come on to Discord and check it out. Um, but really, clubdevent.com is the, is the place to go. Awesome. David, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. I feel like I can better answer these questions and I'm getting them all the time from clients. So I hope that everyone who sat through you and I being geeky also feels like they can walk away and say, okay, I get what NFTs are now. I understand the blockchain. I see why wine is talking about this. So you rock. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Take care. Have a good day. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. And a big thanks to David for coming on today and helping us all understand a new technology a little better. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Save the date, the next edition of Vinitali will be held the 2nd through the 5th of April 2023. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. Cin cin! guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.